Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, we don't know what those stories were. We have a few little journals we might be able to read. But we do know some of the dialogue that went on at that very important critical event called the Last Supper. And so before we get into that, we have to see what Jesus does. Now, when did this all occur? If you have your Bibles, now let's begin in verse 1. And here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, meaning they're getting ready for that special Passover and the Lord's Supper, and the big event in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had swelled to over a million people. You remember prior to that, those people were kind of falling down and hailing Jesus. All that special that he was, what we call that special Palm Sunday. And so a lot of hubbub was going on. And Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own when he was in the world, he loved them to the end. So I wanted to give you what we might call the very first step of what you might look at to see if you could spot a servant. And that would be servants are people who really love others. Servants are people who really love others. And so what you might want to do is begin thinking about the kind of people that he's speaking to. There's 12 of his disciples there and how much he really loved them and how much he really demonstrated that love. If you look here, it says he loved them while he was with them and then he loved them until the end. If I was to ask you what were some of the greatest miracles that he did, you might talk about how that he fed the 5,000, how he brought back Lazarus from the dead and all the things that he did. But I'm going to tell you, that was good. Those are great miracles he did while he was on the earth to demonstrate that he was God and he was who he claimed to be as well as relieving the suffering. But I think his greatest miracle that he ever did is when he took all the sin of all the world upon himself and he died and he rose again and offered free forgiveness to anyone who would still be in their sin if they would simply trust in him. And so you talk about loving someone unto the end. Do you find people sometimes in your life that are very hard to love? Do you find people that are in your life very hard to really go out of your way to give them love, to express something? Do you really look at them and find out what is their need and how can I meet them? Or do you marginalize them? You judge them, put them up on a shelf, avoid them, but you don't really look at what need do they have? How can I serve them? How can I lighten their load? How can I affirm? How can I encourage them? Jesus had all sorts of rummies working with him, but yet in all those cases he truly, truly love them. So I wonder what that might look like if we were to really love people. Sometimes love is um, done out of duty and I think there's some danger in that. Sometimes we want to love other people and serve other people. We do it more out of duty and if we continue doing it out of duty, I think after a while it could deteriorate into some bitterness because we do it because we have to. We do it because people think less of us if we don't do this job but we really don't do it because we love. Now let me caution you. While Jesus was loving others, I think it is hard for us to love other people, especially those who don't love us back or give us the strokes or appreciate even what we're doing. So often we need to redirect our love. We don't love them because of them. We love the Lord because the Lord loves them. So we love the people the Lord loves and it helps us if we redirect our love because I love the Lord so much and He loves others. Therefore now I will love others because He loves them. So now it could even be in question. If we're not loving others, it may be that we're not really loving the Lord like we should. And so we have to really think about that because if we love the Lord, then we will do and we will serve Him and we will love those people, whatever their needs might be. So a great way to spot a servant is someone who authentically loves the Lord and it shows by how much they're willing to serve other people. And this is quite fascinating because he's speaking to his leadership team and he, instead of telling them to go out and be the big shots, 
He's basically modeling, showing them what it means to be humble, to be servants, to make a difference in another person's life. And I think that's really what we want to do, is we do want to make a difference in someone else's life. So being strong like that is important, but at the same time, loving them is even more important. So servants love others, but servants are also strong. And I talked about that just a second ago. Let's go back to the passage again. Let me show you how that shows itself out here in verses 2 through verse 4. It says here, During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So in other words, out of the 12, he had one guy that Satan really took over. Judas yielded himself to Satan. And all of a sudden, Judas is such a one that he's getting ready to betray the Lord. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, not Judas's hands, but into his own hands, and that he had come forth from God, and he's going back to God, this same Jesus got up from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. Now you might say, well, what does that have to do about strength? Well, in your own mind, think again. When people think of servants, what do they think of a servant? They generally think of him being very passive, mealy-mouthed, kind of bow down, cower down, not, doesn't have much of a brain, just tell him what to do and he'll kind of do it like a little trained person. But I want you to know that true servants, those that are truly servant of the Lord, that really want to be influencers of others, their strength is not going to be so much in how much they can heavy lift. It may not always be in the stamina that they have, but their strength is going to come in the character. Now going back to the Lord, who is King of Kings, and yet at the same time he's modeling being a servant, he now knows that there's going to be one who will betray him. Now, when that person betrays him, it isn't that Jesus lost his job. It wasn't that so many people began to talk against Jesus. It was the fact that because of his betrayal, Jesus was going to die. Now, technically, we know that Jesus gave up his life on the cross, and so no man took his life. But that whole process began with Judas. So here's what I'm suggesting to you if you want to spot a servant. That would be one of you who would know that there could be someone who is betraying you someone in your family. It could be someone with whom you're married. Maybe some of your kids. Maybe some that's extended in your sphere of influence that you know that is now turning their sights against you to begin to ruin your dreams. To begin to throw sand in the gears of your plans. To be able to divide you from other people that you really love. Someone that's going to be out there to betray. Now when there's people like that, I want to avoid them. I don't want to be around them. And I do that by saying, shouldn't I separate from bad people like that? The answer is yes, and the answer is no. To have fellowship with them, no. To separate yourself from them, to eliminate any potential ministry in them, in most cases, it is not biblical. Yes, first, second admonition, then you might reject. But in this case, a real servant is one who has what we call inner strength. So whether you have power or you have a title or you have all the authority you'd like to have as a leader and as a servant, the greatest sense of a servant is to serve someone who is very difficult to serve. In fact, even in Scripture it says, for those people that are employed, that if you have a heavy taskmaster, an employer, and in the context of Scripture, a master over you as you're a slave, that's even perverted. The Bible says that you show them respect, you show them submission. And the respect is that you have to trust him, but you're respecting the position that he holds. And Jesus is doing that, knowing that there'd be a betrayer in the midst. Sometimes the one that might be betraying you the most is hurting you. Remember this phrase, hurting people hurt people. And maybe you're experiencing a lot of that hurt back from them. 
But it could be that underneath their skin is someone that's hurting. And it's going to take a stronger servant like Jesus to lay aside to go reach out and to touch them. Now look back at the passage, if you will. It says, He got up from supper and he laid aside his garment and taking a towel, he girded himself. I want you to picture for just a moment of all that's going on to show you the strength that Christ had. Now obviously he is God. Watch this now. When you trust Christ as Savior, you are a partaker of the divine nature, so you have the ability to demonstrate the same thing on his strength, not yours. Here's what happens. The city is a, a buzz of people. Jesus is now getting ready to go up for the Last Supper, and he's coming in with the guys that are up there. He walks into the room. King of kings, Lord of lords. He knew who he was. Watch this. And he knew who they were. Sinners, people that have basically abandoned him, even at the cross, and one who would even betray him. He knew who they were. He knew who he was. Just like you and me. We know who we are. Hopefully we see ourselves alive in Christ. We also see the people we're serving. We see that they are hurting people. That they're going to hurt us back. That they have a lot of needs. That that's going to the mind of Christ. He walks in. And do you recall what he heard when he walked in that room with all of his disciples in there? What were they doing? Did they say, oh, here comes Jesus. All right, let's have our last supper. No, you know what they were doing? They were arguing over who was going to be next to Christ. In the, they were really wanting to grab the throne rather than grab a dirty foot-washing towel. And that's what he walked into, bickering amongst themselves. Now, if it had been you or me, what would we have done if we saw people bickering, the ones that we want to serve? Would we have said, I don't need this, I'm out of here. Would we come in there and shoot low and throw grenades to break it up? What would we do? And that's not what Jesus did. Even at that moment, there was an instruction for them to tell them who was going to be chief, who wasn't, and in this case, he now starts washing their feet. Now watch what he did. He walks in. Now here it's, uh, we're already kind of casual, but if you're on the mainland and you were preaching in some churches, you men would have a coat on, they'd have a nice shirt on, some would even have a vest, a tie on, etc. And that's their style, that's their culture, that's fine. But I want you to think about that. When Jesus comes in, he comes in and he takes off his outer garment. Then he takes off the inner garment. Then he has his, his light linen, we would call it underwear here if you know what I'm trying to say. He removes all of that in front of his guys, getting ready to get a little wet, probably a little dirty himself. And then he stoops down low, and that's what humility means in the Greek, stoop low, to begin to wash their feet. The very ones who he knew would betray him, one, and all those who are arguing over who's going to be great among them, all the people that he knew he was going to die for. And that's what he did. And I look at Christ and I say, that is a, a servant of strength. So now if you don't mind for just a moment, let me just frame where you might be. Maybe you're on a leadership team very much like these guys were. Maybe your leadership team is you're the dad, your wife's the mom, and you're part of that leadership team. This should speak to you. Perhaps on your job you do have some folks that answer to you in some measure. You're the leader. You're on that leadership team. Some of you serve in committees and teams here in our community. That means, though, that you're serving a greater group. You're the leadership team. Some of you might be volunteers in leadership roles here with titles. You have a title. You have a moniker. You know who you are. You know who is responsible to you and who you're responsible for. You're the leadership team. I would be me, so I'm speaking to me as well. Maybe you're in government. You'd be on a leadership team. And in that case, the people that you serve, sometimes you really want to, like, just, I want to be with them. And Jesus says, no, what I'm going to do, watch this, 
I'm going to lay myself bare. I'm going to humble myself, not humiliate myself, but humble myself to bring about a cleansing. Now, you might think, was that, that cleansing of the feet we're going to talk about? That must have been some kind of a thing that he did, kind of out of the ordinary. What was really going on? Is it something so special? Was he really trying to get the spotlight on himself? Let's discover that as we go further in. Can you spot a servant? First of all, they love others. So you have to check yourself. If you're not really loving them and doing it out of love for the Lord for them, I'm going to tell you pretty soon it's going to shut you down and you won't be as effective as a servant leader. Secondly, the strength that you have to be able to overcome that attitude of wanting to distance yourself and not serve those people and to marginalize them, I'm going to tell you, your strength is going to come from the Lord. And you can do that. And it's that person who's taken the high road that makes it happen. And remember, the high road is a good place to be because there's not a lot of traffic up there. You take it and you go. But there's a third here, and that is that servants are imperfect people who serve imperfect people. And let me caution you, I'm not saying that Jesus is imperfect. We know that he was very, very perfect. But he also would tell us that as we go out as servants of his, we are imperfect, and he's identifying that with them, and you're going to see that in the context, who then will in turn serve other imperfect people. But to do that, how, how did, what was in the mindset of Christ that we might be able to grab his mindset, even though we're imperfect and he's not, so that we now can in turn look at those people on our staff, in our office, on our team, on our workforce, in our group, and serve them. Well, let's go back to the passage and see if we can draw some truths out of this. It says, then he, remember he took off his garments, he wasn't naked, but pretty humble there. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Interesting. His own towel. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, Peter is saying to the Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Now, some of you might say, what, what's so significant about that? You have to understand the significance here. Some of you, if I had up here on the screen a picture of the Last Supper, most of you would see the picture of Leonardo da Vinci where you see this real long table. Some of you have been in churches, what they do, what they call a Monday Thursday. A Monday Thursday... It's usually where they reenact the Lord's Supper and they get human men that will get up there and try to strike the pose or whatever that pose is that Leonardo da Vinci would have and they would all kind of be looking at Jesus. And for most of us, when you hear Lord's Supper, you kind of have that in there. Sometimes it's the front of your mind, sometimes it's buzzing around, but that's the best picture you have. But technically, unfortunately, as brilliant as Leonardo da Vinci was, and I don't want to ever take anything away from that man, I'm a little sparked to his intelligence, but the accuracy of this really doesn't play out. Back in the Bible days, they didn't necessarily eat at tables like that. It wasn't like Jesus says, okay, guys, half of you on this side, the other half on this side. Okay, I want you to turn this way. We're about ready to get a portrait of ourselves. None of that happened. They actually reclined on the ground with a table, very much like when you go to our luau's. How many of you have been to one of our luau's on the island? You have the tables like we like to sit at. We can dangle our feet. And then you have those right up against the stage where you kind of sit right on the ground. And then they have the little tables there. Now, as you sit like that, that's how they would do that. But they would use the term, they would recline at those tables. So I'm not going to strike the pose totally, but I want you to think in terms of resting your head and then sopping up the food and eating it this way all around the table. So the guys were all laying here, generally head to foot, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot. Now stay with that same thought. Now, if you were guys and you're walking through the dusty streets of Jerusalem, you could only imagine how dirty your feet are. And that's how it was then. 
the culture was and the custom was that when you would come into a place, they would then wash feet. So the washing of the feet was not very uncommon. It was very common of what they did. Your outside would be pretty clean, but your feet would be very dirty. Have you ever been, unfortunately, perhaps maybe down Waikiki and other places, and you saw some homeless people? Have you ever seen the condition of their feet? And besides them maybe having sores on them, and still maybe not all clean on the outside, the upper part of the body, their feet are really, really dirty, and your hearts go out to them. Well, that's what was happening at this time. And all these guys are around there, and Jesus is about ready to wash their feet. So they were dirty feet, and I also think they had a dirty heart. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So I want you to think about what was going on here. Let's go back to the passage here. And so when Simon Peter said to the Lord, Lord, do you wash my feet? Well, normally you'd say, well, guys would wash one another's feet. But Peter knew that Jesus was something far more special than that. And so now you have this, quote, man claiming to be king of kings and lord of lords and this great, great Jewish future leader coming to watch, wash Peter's feet. He said, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. In other words, there's a bigger lesson in this than you can see. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. You're too big for the, you. You don't need to do this. Perhaps I need to do it, but not you. You do not need to wash my feet. And Jesus again answered Peter and he said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. Mm. I look at that and I say, ooh, that's almost like being separated from the Lord. And so now look at Peter, how he responds. He says, uh, wash not my feet only, but wash my head, my hands, everything I got. In other words, if you can get a jacuzzi in here, let me jump into this thing and really get clean. Now I want to go back to the other point to pull this all together because I wanted you to see where Jesus got the strength to work with imperfect people. So these are kind of tied together, point two and three. Listen carefully. In order for Jesus to work with imperfect people, he had to understand what his focus was. His focus was, <clears throat> I, um, I know where I'm coming from, and I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. I am here for such a thing as a time as this, verse 1. I am here for this time. He got his strength to be able to do this, to realize why I'm here. Now listen very carefully. For you to work with imperfect people and have the strength to work with imperfect people, you have to realize that when God has placed you in a position of influence, He puts you there at that very moment. Some of you did not ask for a promotion. You got it. God puts you there for a time as this, even though you have to work with imperfect people. Now watch, let me flip it around. Some of you did not get a promotion. You did not get what you wanted. But you are here for still just a time as this. And for those of you that have not gone through that, let me just tell you, I identify with you. It was a time I thought I would be promoted and I didn't get that promotion. I was devastated more than I can explain to you, far more than I should have been as a Christian leader. This was way back in the 70s. But I can tell you that once I wrapped my head around the fact that God did not promote me, that I was left in this position, watch this, for such a time as this. Once I owned that and it took a real God working in my heart, I couldn't make it happen. All of a sudden it was as if the windows of heaven opened up and it gave me all the joy back and the ability to see why I am here. So when you are put in a position of influence, your strength's going to come to know that God puts you where you are right now for such a time as this. Some of you, brand new dad, for such a time as this. Some of you finally got married. You are to serve in that relationship as hard as it might be with an imperfect mate. 
but you are in that for such a time as this. So I can't make all the applications because I don't live in your world, but let the Holy Spirit now take that thought. For you to be strong, your strength is going to come from the Lord, knowing that He was placed on this earth for such a time as this, and so are you. That's your focus. I'm here because God wants me here, and I need to serve the people that He's called me to at this time. But secondly, to have that strength to work with imperfect people, you have to realize the authority. Jesus knew His authority was. It says here that He was given authority over these things to do these things in His life at this time. Now, your authority is a little bit different. If God has placed you for a time like this, that also must mean that it's not just the timing, but it's also the job He has called you to do. And that authority He has given to you to place you in that time is to fulfill whatever that is. Now, part of that is going to be a skill set that you have and you're in that. God groomed you into that skill set by training, by illustrations, by life experiences, by spiritual gifting, by personality. So all along, he was making you ready for that event, that skill set, that authority you have to do that came from the Lord. Now, let me go a little bit further. At the same time, while he was giving you all of these things, remember, you don't rely upon what he has given to you. You rely upon the giver of this. I was chatting with one of our dear, wonderful volunteers, and she was sharing with me out of a Bible teacher that said this, only a servant, a true, only a servant realizes that he has nothing and whatever he has is focused on the Lord. There is no distraction. His whole life as a servant is to follow his master. That's the authority that you have. The focus is, time is this. The authority you have is that God gave you that ability at this time and now you rely upon him to use you. But there's one other thing. It says this. It says he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And I put the word identity there. He also knows that his identity is in God. It's in the Trinity. Your identity is not going to be again in, oh, look, I'm for this time. Or my identity is, oh, I got this skill set. Or this is my job. Your identity to be able to do this is because you are in this because God has placed you in this job. You are there as God's mouthpiece, God's model, and God's servant for whatever that is at a time like this. Your identity, you know who you are and why you're there. So now what happens, you have that inner strength that came from the Lord. You now have the ability to work with imperfect people because Jesus worked with imperfect people. And so now you can be able to pull it off because it's not you, it's Him. Like we often say, I can't, He can Therefore, I will. And that's this whole point here when he did this to show us around these imperfect people. Now, let's look at the imperfect people. There are three of them in this passage here. Let's go back to it again. And it says here what he did, if you'll follow along. It talks about at the very beginning. He says here, Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You might want to circle that in your Bible. That's the first group that he began to wash were the disciples' feet. These are the very ones who were arguing about him, the very ones that doubted, like Thomas, etc., and he washed their feet. He humbled himself to wash their feet. What I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, I'm going to suggest this, it might be a little painful, but I want you to think about the people that you find it most difficult to serve, most difficult to go out of your way to give a word of encouragement, to lighten their load, to carry a package, to teach them, to lead them, to plan for them, to develop something in their life, you find those people very difficult. And for just a moment, I want you to own that feeling of how difficult it is 
and how Jesus Christ was placed in that same situation and he modeled how to work with those disciples. Now in this case, they were his disciples. For some of you, you might be able to move away from them because um, they're not a part of your sphere of influence. But some of you, you can't get out of it. You're locked in. These are your team players. You can't fire them. You can't kick them out. You've got to live with them. Those are the very people that maybe you need to wash their feet. The next person would be Judas in this. We've already studied about him and how he was the one to betray them, but I want you to think about Judas as being the one that actually came against him. So I want you to think about the person that, that really bothers you the most in your life. The one that perhaps in the middle of the night you can't sleep and you begin to think about that person. And that person really gets your goat. I want you to think about that person. The person that brings you the most emotional pain. The person that really bothers you. The person you might be afraid of because of what they can or cannot do to you. That person who's already hurt you so bad and you're afraid they'll do it again. Maybe it's an ex in a child custody situation. Whatever it might be. I want you to think of that type of person. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.